The Amazing Bible Timeline with World History. It works like a clock, starts with Adam around to Christ at 6 o'clock, and then up to today, counting down to midnight and the return of Christ. Each pie-shaped piece of the Amazing Bible Timeline with World History is a century. The different colors are different nations from the sons of Noah. The biblical prophet Daniel lived during the same century as the Chinese philosopher Confucius. The Bible lists ages of fathers and their death dates, but a timeline shows us how they overlap. Methuselah, the man in the Bible who lived the longest, died the year of the flood. Adam was still alive when Methuselah and his son Lamech, Noah's father, were born. Noah's son Shem was still alive when Abraham was born. Abraham could have learned about the history of the world from Shem, who learned about Adam on down from his grandfather. What was happening in the Bible during important world events? The Greek poet Homer and King Solomon lived during the same century. What will you discover? Find out more at AmazingBibleTimeline.com We have magnifying glasses for helping not to get lost in the details. Uh, prior to the flood, the great flood, which hundreds of cultures in the world have the history of the flood in their history. Uh, we'll get into that later on in this series. But prior to the flood, man lived longer. How is that possible? The Bible says they did. How is that possible? So here is uh, a pretty good reason why. On the second day of creation, God created a firmament. This was our atmosphere, and this firmament is believed as a water-based canopy that covered the earth and made our atmosphere more dense, kind of like a hyperbaric chamber. Who's, who's heard of those? Doctors and medical industry is using that for healing. Athletes are recovering quickly from their wounds because of these chambers. Uh, there's a doctor here in town that was a nurse in um, Galveston, and through this, he became a doctor. His job at Galveston was to take people down in diving bells very deep to increase the atmospheric pressure to help with their, heal their healing as they were doing research. And so through that job at UT Galveston, he went on and became a doctor. So this density in the atmosphere enabled man to live longer and it protected the earth from harmful radiation. And so with the flood, God's judgment came on the earth for wickedness. People living centuries long could get really bad, right? And uh, so this decreased man's lifespan through the loss of that canopy. All right, Genesis chapter 4. Our journey through the book has brought us to what um, translators have called chapter 4. It says, now Adam knew Eve his wife. That is, they were intimate. And she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Um, what was she getting at? Well, in the previous chapter, verse 15, there's a promise that woman would bear a seed that would bruise the head or crush the head of Satan, and in so doing, have his heel bruised. And this is pointing to the crucifixion of the son of a woman, the seed of a woman, Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that. But 
Eve heard that prophecy and applying it to her own life, it's understandable why she would get excited. I have gotten a man from the Lord. The word Cain means to acquire, to procure. It's literally to spear something. Mine. And uh, so she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have acquired a man from the Lord. And so she named him acquired, basically is what Cain means. Boy, was he a disappointment. Verse 2, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel's not that exciting of a name. It pretty much means breath or nothing. He didn't live long enough. And so sometimes in etymology, you wonder, did the name mean that beforehand, or did the name take on that meaning with this person's life? Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Can you say first fruits? And of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So this wasn't like a chili cook-off where somebody gets first place, somebody gets second place. Either your offering is accepted or it's not. So we find out in the context of why it wasn't accepted, but I, I just want to point to the significance of Abel's offering. It was the first fruits of his flock. It was a blood sacrifice, just like God had slain animals to cover the nakedness of his parents in the previous chapter. So he, in worshiping and honoring God, offers his best, the first fruits, a blood sacrifice. Now, he may have also offered some vegetables and fruits as well. The Hebrew could lend itself to that. Cain didn't offer a blood sacrifice. He offered fruits and vegetables, and it doesn't say they were his first fruits. So as we'll see here in a minute, the condition of his heart wasn't right. So he could have offered a blood sacrifice, and it still would not have been accepted. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? What is a fallen countenance? It's pouting. Why are you being a big baby? Why are you so upset? Why are you so steamed? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here's why. Sin lies at the door. And its desire, what's desire? Sin's desire is for you. It wants to have you, but you should rule over it. Literally, sin is crouching wanting to devour you, wanting to control you. You're being tempted, Cain. Don't yield to it. So Cain's not searching his heart. Why wasn't my offering accepted? What's going on? He is angry. You know, Jesus said, when you bring an offering and you remember you have aught with someone, do not offer your offering until you go and make it right. Paul said, as much as depends on you, walk in peace with all people. So the condition of our heart and our relationships are important, 
especially when it comes to giving offering to the Lord. Verse 8, Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Envy, jealousy, iniquity like that is just so wrong. Hatred, Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart. It's the sin of Cain. He was jealous rather than searching his heart. Some people are like that. I've done the time. Why didn't I get the promotion? Rather than searching their heart, wondering, you know, showing up to work late or leaving early or stealing stuff. God sees these things. Promotion is in, is in his hand. And injustice does happen, but not your whole life, right? So people get angry and bitter, and they sin and feel justified in doing so. He felt justified in wiping out his brother because he didn't repent. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Well, God knew, but this is kind of a question like he asked his father in the previous chapter. Adam, where are you? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Shirking responsibility, just like his folks. You know, maybe if they thought he was the blessed child, maybe they spoiled him rotten. We don't know. The Bible tells enough details to convey the truth that it is intended to teach us. You ever get lost in someone telling the story? So many details, you don't really know what is happening. So many, you ever done that? Some people get lost. It's too much information, too much. Well, the Bible doesn't give too much information. It gives the information we need from the story. So Cain sinned, and he was warned. God, in his grace, warned him, and he overrode the warning. Verse 10, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You won't be able to farm anymore. You have lost your, Billy, you have lost your green thumb, Cain. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, I repent, I'm sorry. No, he, go, he jumps into the self-pity thing. This is what happens when we're rebellious and we sin and we get busted and experience the consequences for our sin. Out comes the victim card. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Never mind, you know, I've killed a child of my parents. I've killed my own brother. I've killed someone's dad or future dad, potential dad or someone's husband. Never mind, it's all about me, what, I, what I'm experiencing, my pain. He was obsessed with self. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, 
lest anyone finding him should kill him. So in his rebellion, God shows him mercy, marks him. So everybody knows the word would spread as to what he had done. Everyone would know this is him. You better be careful around him because God doesn't want any vengeance taken on him. Isn't that amazing? This mark, what was it? Well, a lot of theories have been made, but basically to me, it's to show who Cain was and you best deal with him graciously, mercifully. Even though he doesn't deserve it, this is God's mercy demonstrated. And then then we see his mercy in his life, not at first, but later on. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, that means the land of wandering, on the east of Eden. John Steinbeck wrote a tale, was made into a movie, uh, that kind of paralleling this story called East of Eden. So he dwelt in the land of wandering, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is the first of more than one Enoch in the Bible. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, this isn't city like we think city. You know, we think Granbury's a town and Fort Worth is a city. This is a community where there can be watchmen, to be fortified. It could be you know, some safety living in this city. That's what the word here means. And so Cain maybe lived the rest of his life looking over his shoulder. Now, who was there to kill him? Who would? Well, we don't know how many children Adam and Eve had, right? We don't know. Uh, Some theologians said they could have had 50 kids if they had you know, one every five years for 250 years. So Abel could have been someone's husband, someone's, obviously someone's brother, someone's son, uh, someone's dad, someone's cousin, nephew, whatever. And Cain could have been hard to get along with and somebody you want to kill. I don't know. I'm just getting carried away there. So he built a city, this safe place, to Enoch was born Arad, and Arad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. If there's ever a sub-theme of Genesis, an underlying theme of Genesis, it would be polygamy is bad. It's full of stories where men yielded yielded to the temptation to get another woman and the problems that comes from that. Talk about jealousy, envy, betrayal, all sorts of other things. So he had two wives, Ada and Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Can you say cowboys? Or you could say Bedouins, all right? His brother's name was Jubal. He was a father of those who play the harp and flute. Can you say musician? And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. Can you say welder? Blacksmith. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. So this is his grandkids. Got four grandkids. 
Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. So I was justified for murdering someone is what he's saying. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. He's wanting to get in on the dispensation of grace that God has extended to Cain. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. She's looking for the fulfillment of the 315 prophecy. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So through Cain, we have the metal industry, we have livestock industry, and we have music. And through Seth, we have men of prayer calling on the name of the Lord. Let's call on the name of the Lord right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We ask, Lord, for your help to apply a portion of Scripture from this text to our lives. Help us, Lord, to guard our hearts that when sin is at the door of our heart, be it envy, jealousy, or hatred, or prejudice, help us, Lord, to rule over it and not allow it to rule over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Envy will sneak up on you. You won't ask for it. There it is, and you have to deal with it. Sometimes it comes in the form of a Christmas letter. Nobody ever puts out their Christmas letters with all the bad stuff. It's always good stuff. Sometimes it may come in the form of social media. Nobody publishes their bad stuff. When they do, I'd rather they not. You know, I don't care to see the gash on your you know, son's head. By faith, Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was committed as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. We're going to see how he speaks because he provides a framework for appreciating the blood of Jesus apples of gold in pictures of silver, so is a word fitly spoken, the testimony of Abel. I'd like to speak to you today on the blood that speaks better things, focusing or springing from this verse, the King James Version, verse 10 says, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth to me from the groundeth. And now you are cursed. His blood fell to the surface of the earth, the first account in the Bible of innocent blood being shed. And now you're cursed. Centuries later, another lost his blood. It fell on the same ground, not the same place on the planet, the same ground of the planet. The last Adam died for the sins of the world, and his blood brings blessing rather than a curse. 
the blood that speaks better things. Hebrews 12.24 says, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the book also calls it a better covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things, better than that of Abel. Abel's blood spoke, and it was a curse. Christ's blood speaks, and there's a blessing. Blood will speak to you. Blood is the fluid that circulates in our heart, our arteries, our veins, and capillaries. It carries nourishment and oxygen to every cell and takes away waste products, including dead cells, from all the parts of our body to be flushed out of our system. This is what the blood of Christ does for us. Brings us new life, takes away the old life. If you came home from work, and there was a trail of blood from the front door going down the sidewalk to your driveway where your wife's car was or your husband's car was and stopped right there and their car was gone, would that blood talk to you? Say, something's wrong. Somebody's gone to seek medical attention. Maybe a crime has been committed. Blood talks to you. The blood of Christ speaks. Our blood can tell us if something is wrong. We saw this. God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. So now you are cursed. Our blood serves us to sustain our lives, bringing nutrition and life to us and carrying away death from us. When that stops, we're dead. Our heart stops bleeding. Leviticus 17 in the law of Moses says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement or an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So it's the blood that remits sins. The blood of Jesus does that. So that's what blood does. Now we're going to look at 10 things the blood of Jesus says for us. 10 better things than Cain's curse. Jesus' blood has given us a new covenant. His blood says you have a new covenant. Jesus, in instituting what we call the Lord's table during the Passover meal, took the cup, blessed it, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission, the removal, the full payment of sins. So what does his blood say? His blood says your sins are remitted. When you get a bill, you pay that bill. The Lord provides, right? In paying that bill, it's called payment or making a remittance or a remission. You pay the bill. Our indebtedness before God has been paid by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood has removed our punishment Romans 3.25, whom, speaking of Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation of the full payment by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his long suffering, his great mercy, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. So the permanent atonement, full redemption, better than atonement, was accomplished through the death of Christ. So his death is for the future, us, we got in on it, and for those previous to him going all the way back to Abel. 
Adam. Much more then, Romans 5, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So his blood says, I've been justified. Justice has been served. Somebody said, it's a cute way to say it, just as if I never sinned. The fact is, we did sin. So he's the one that never sinned. And we get in on his record. His righteousness is bestowed upon us. His blood has redeemed or bought back our sinful condition, our sinful state. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Not according to the riches of our worthiness, not according to the size of our gift, but according to his undeserved favor. We've been given redemption. So his blood says, you're redeemed. You know, the church, the body of Christ, over the centuries have sung about the blood a lot. Liberal Christianity calls it slaughterhouse religion. And I want to declare we are a church, a congregation, a local expression of the life of Christ in this community that believes in the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So his blood speaks better things. With his own blood, Hebrews 9, he entered the most holy place in heaven once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. It's done. No more annual atonement things having to happen. No more cover-up, but a washing away, full redemption. His blood has healed our estrangements. We've been distanced from God by sin. We've been distanced from one another by sin. Families are tore up by sin, but through the blood of Jesus, redemption can happen. Uh, Reconciliation can happen because redemption has happened. Justice has been served. Ephesians 2.13, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another. That's why this theory of there being more than one way to God is ridiculous. How will mankind ever be reconciled if there's a thousand ways to get to God? One God, one Lord, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There may be many ways to find Jesus. You know, somebody found Jesus on the job. Somebody found Jesus in jail. Somebody found Jesus in church. The truth is, he found us. The Lord's blood empowers our approach. We have been made redeemed. We've been brought near, and we've been empowered to approach him. Hebrews 10, having boldness to enter the holiest, By the blood of Jesus, we boldly can come to God because we're worthy, because we've got enough goofy badges to prove our worthiness. No, the blood of Jesus was shed for us.
for me. The Lord sanctified us or set us apart with his blood. Hebrews 13, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Uh, In the Torah is the scapegoat uh, sacrifice, where two innocent goats were taken. One was offered as a sacrifice. The other, other one was taken out in the wilderness and left to die with the sins of the people pronounced upon them. They would lay hands on the head of that thing and take it out to die. So Christ became sin for us, falsely accused, died an unjust death outside the temple, outside the camp, (laughs) out where the scapegoats are taken to be the scapegoat for us. You know, the world is full of injustice and vigilanteism is a temptation for those that have experienced injustice. But all that does is create more injustice. Falsely accused people have the finger pointed at them and without due process, people are being pronounced guilty and you want to run somebody's life, just falsely accuse them. and There's very little punishment for that. But what is the underlying drive in that is somebody's got to pay. I've experienced an injustice. Somebody must be punished. Well, somebody was punished. You cry out to God to open your heart to receive the full revelation of what he did for us. You can be freed from your vengefulness. Christ's blood completes our inadequacies. You ever feel inadequate? Hebrews 13, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He is at work in us to do his good pleasure. Well, I'm weak. I'm inadequate. I don't have a, you know, a lot of ability. I don't have a degree. It doesn't matter. His blood makes you complete. All the boxes that needed to be checked have been checked so that you can have a relationship with God and begin to serve him in your generation doing his will for you. And if you'll pursue that in obedience to that, and recognize when sin's at the door of your heart to try to distract you, you'll be amazed at what God will do with you. This business of the separation of the clergy and laity is not a good thing. Not a good thing. Because it puts professionals in some superior category, the the priests and the peons, the minister and the morons. That's not God's In your bulletin today is something I wrote nine years ago. It was in the bulletin nine years ago on can women speak in church. Please don't read it right now. Otherwise, we've just derailed the sermon. But the reason it's in there is recently at a conference called Truth Matters, some men denounced women in ministry, even called the name of someone who's well-known, said she needs to go home. Well, because truth matters, 
I put it out there for you. May you not be shut down into silence because we are all called to proclaim the gospel, right? Amen. Uh, I could go on a rabbit trail on that and preach that, but the point is we're complete in him. We're complete in him. And for us to haul out some doctrine from the dark ages that really isn't biblical. Now, here's here's part of the problem. Another well-known person that I highly respect has used women in ministry as a parallel with what's going on in the LGBT community. Oh, everybody's rebelling against the Word of God. The truth is there wouldn't be any rebellion against the Word of God if people believed the Word of God and held to the truth as it really is. The LGBT movement has tried to hijack the civil rights movement. Did you know there wouldn't be a civil rights movement if America was righteous enough to not have people having to fight for their rights? So because of sins of the past, we have error getting an upper hand in our culture. But this is where we are. So I just want everybody to know that if you're a woman, you are not a substandard creature who has to be silenced. You have a gift to teach. You can proclaim the gospel in this house if God's called you to do that kind of thing, right? Now, I, I, I believe the overseers of the congregation as a whole need to be men, as men are fathers, and sometimes they got to get away in private and seek the face of God, and having people the opposite sex there it wouldn't be appropriate. That's, that's where I'm at, and I see that as a biblical model. Husband of one wife. You can't be a wife of one husband and, and be an elder. It's a husband of one wife. So anyway, back to... Christ's blood. It makes us complete, completes our inadequacies. Christ's blood makes us royalty. Revelation 1, talking to Jesus, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever washed away our sins in his own blood. The result of that is we're made kings and priests to God, his God, and Father. You thankful for the blood of Jesus? Revelation 5, again talking to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That would not happen. We would not reign. We would not be kings. would not be priests if we weren't redeemed to God by the blood of the one who's worthy to take the scroll, the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb's blood makes us clean. Revelation 7, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, we don't want to get into eschatology here. I'll make everybody mad. But throughout the centuries, there has been tribulation. God's church is going through suffering even now. And so through the centuries are saints who have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. 
You don't need Tide. You don't need bubble up, bubble up. You don't need Amway as good as their stuff is. The blood of the Lamb will make you one. And the Lamb's blood helps us overcome. In conclusion, the tenth thing the blood of Jesus says for us. They conquered him. Who's the him there? The accuser of the brethren. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So we win by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What is your testimony about the blood of the Lamb? Should you be falsely accused? Should you be rightly accused? Our testimony is the blood was shed for me. I plead the blood on Calvary's hill of sorrow. The lamb for us was slain to give us hope for tomorrow. The lamb for sinners slain. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. Lord, I thank you for your blood. I pray, Lord, that it would be more real to us than it has ever been. Lord, while we looked at 10 things that your blood speaks for us, help us, Lord, to read the context of these scriptures and gain even deeper meaning. In Jesus' name, amen.